The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. I'd like for you to open your Bibles, please, today to Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. And today we continue a reboot of our series from last year, Living in the Light of Christ's Return. And I am retracing some steps to reorient us in the series after leaving it in limbo for several months as we were forced out due to COVID-19. And this sermon is the second part of the apostasy of the Antichrist. And we are discussing the confusion of the Thessalonian church about when Christ would return. And this study is about end time events. And the Thessalonians were like many Christians today who don't understand the order of events in the second coming. Uh, These Thessalonian people had experienced terrible persecution And this caused them to believe that the day of the Lord had come. Now, in the scriptures, the day of the Lord is the last time. It's the time of intense tribulation as God purges the world before Christ comes to reign in righteousness. And Christians today evaluate hard times such as we have experienced in this past year And there are some that predict that this is a sign of the end. And so they believe that we are in the day of the Lord. Now, New Testament believers have always experienced persecution as there is never a respite from demonic forces that try to destroy God's work. And although the suffering of Christ's disciples was predicted by our Lord, and certainly Paul wrote much about it, Still, there are Christians in every generation who believe that their suffering is the worst of all time. And so that must be an indicator of the second coming. And so there is much preaching and there is predicting that claims that this worldwide pandemic is a sign of the end times and the rejection of Christianity and the gross immorality that we see in our country, is claimed to be the last straw for God, and he is about to destroy the world. Now, much of this relates to people not understanding that America is not God's chosen nation, as Israel was. And as far as we know, there are no predictions about America in the Bible. But America is just one of many nations that may rise and fall before Christ returns. Persecution has always been in the world, but the end times persecution will be the worst. And Christians in Thessalonica had no previous experience of persecution because they had just become Christians. So they didn't know what this type of persecution would be like. They're just new believers. So they didn't understand what God was doing. And because they saw no relief in sight, they thought that the tribulation had already begun. And of course, if that was true, then the promises of God were not true because Paul promised them that God would not allow them to go through the days of wrath, the day of the Lord. But rather, Jesus would come and he would deliver them from God's wrath. 
Now, since we are still living in New Testament times, these letters that the apostle wrote and others wrote, these are important for us so that we understand and that we neither lose hope. So no matter how bad things get, we're not going to see the tribulation of the end times and we can depend upon God's promise to be delivered from it. Well, as we restarted this series last week, we reviewed three ways that Satan tries to deceive the church and ruin their hope. This is how he worked in the Thessalonican church, and, and he works this way today as well. Now, if you look at verses 1 and 2 in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, these three avenues of Satan's deceit had come to Paul's attention, and he needed to address these to restore their hope. In verse number 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now the apostle then reminds them of what he had written to them in the first letter, Christ church. Uh, will be gathered to Christ when he comes. In the first verse, he says the coming of the Lord, that is the parousia, and it refers to the rapture that we've read about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15. And so he tells them not to be troubled, not to let anything or anyone deceive them. What he wrote in that first letter was the inspired words of the Holy Spirit. And God does not change his mind. And deceivers, though they may try to alter the truth, they can't. They lie, they deceive, but they can't change God's truth. Well, now we see these three areas, these three avenues of deception that Satan used against them. The first was a spirit. Uh, That could be a demonic spirit. But most likely it refers to false teachers. Uh, These are Satan's prophets that may have infiltrated the church and were teaching lies. Then the next attack is by words. That refers to preaching. It refers to sermons, to messages, to false uh, uh, expositions of the word of God. And we see this as well, that lying prophets will often use the very same Bible that we use, but take verses out of context. So they'll mix it up and they'll mix with it their opinions. They take away from the word or add to the word. They ignore portions that deny what they say. Now, sometimes they mistranslate the word or they substitute for the word. And we often see that today with cults like the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses. Both of them use copies of the Bible and both add to the words of Scripture. They elevate the writings of their own prophets above Scripture, and then that becomes their authority. Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and those like them, these are cults that persuade millions to follow them. But without doubt, the worst deception that affects billions, not millions, is the Roman Catholic Church. And they take a more orthodox route in their deception. They claim the antiquity of Christianity. And they say that it is the church that gives authority to the scripture. And so they have the ability to circumvent scripture by their traditions, by their edicts, by their councils. And they will change the word of God to fit their purposes. In the Reformation, this was one of the most significant issues that had to be corrected. 
The Bible is our only source of information about God and salvation. And so we have to start there and stay there. And so the rallying cry of the Reformation was sola scriptura, scriptures alone. And they were right about that. And although we as Berean Baptist Church are not part of the Reformation, yet we certainly do hold to this principle that was taught to the church at the very beginning, and that is the Bible is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, and that is the source of our authority. And then there is a third attack. Now, Paul said, don't trust anything other than words that are inspired by God, only the infallible, inspired word of God. That's all that we know about God in the world. That's what we receive in the Bible. But then he talks about a third attack, and this one perhaps is the clincher. Now, the Bible, of course, that is certainly important, and, and that is our authority. But perhaps this was the most convincing to these people and the most confusing thing at this time. And that was Paul said, don't be troubled by a letter that claims to be written by me or my companions. Don't be fooled by a letter that comes from someone who pretends to be me. Now, Paul was trusted by these people. And if there was a letter that came, a forged letter that said it was from him, then of course that would be confusing. Now, the thing that Paul told them that they needed to look for, and this is always the wise thing to do, to understand God is immutable, that God's word never changes. And so if Paul were to write another letter, it could not and it would not contradict what he said earlier because God never changes his mind. Paul never changed his mind because his letters were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that same test is the one that we use today to determine whether we are reading truth. Does it agree with the word of God? Now, if you hear a preacher say, oh, oh, but things are different today. We are living in a different world. We live in the modern world. We live under different rules. The Bible is outdated or the Bible needs to be updated. Don't believe it because God's word is settled forever. Not one word that God spoke will change because God does not change. The Bible does not change. It is the authority for your life. And it is the Bible by which you will be judged when you meet God face to face. Now, you'll notice, again, that the title of our message is the apostasy of the Antichrist. And I use this title because in the next part of chapter 2, Paul gives proof that they can't be at the end, they can't be living in the tribulation, they could not because they had not seen the Antichrist. And the main character of the end times is this person who knows, who is known as the Antichrist, and if they hadn't seen him, then it couldn't be the end. Now in verses 3 through 12, Paul outlines four reasons they couldn't be living in the end times. Now, we, we can't cover all of those reasons today, and I don't intend to, because we're going to slow down just a bit to discuss this person who is known as the Antichrist. Now, all four reasons they couldn't be living in the end times is tied to the appearance of this diabolical man and what he will do during the tribulation. And then there's also information here about what God will do to him and to those who follow him. Now, first of all, Paul, Paul tells them it is not the end times because of what happens in the first part of verse number three. 
He says, let no man deceive you by any means. That is, he means don't let them deceive you by these three methods of false teachers, of false expositions, of false letters, or by any other tactic that Satan might use. Let no man deceive you by any means. Now, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Now, the first reason that Paul gives that they could not be living in end times tribulation is because, number one, the tribulation is accompanied by worldwide rebellion. There will be a great falling away. There will be near total rejection of God. There will be no recognition of the one true God. Now, if you look back in chapter one of the first letter, Paul commended the church because they turned from idols to serve the one true living God. Now, since the first century, Christianity has grown exponentially so that much of the world, in fact, a great part, maybe even most of the world, has turned away from the pantheistic worship of idols. The world has largely turned away from that. Now, of course, there is still some idolatry in Eastern religions, but across the world, there are thousands of Christian missionaries. The gospel is being preached. The truth is being preached. And there are many that come to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching of these missionaries. Now, what 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 could happen that might suddenly stop all missionary endeavors and prevent the large scale teaching of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel across the world. What might precipitate a great falling away so that there would be a return to the idolatry of a darkened world? What is that event? Well, we read about it in First Thessalonians chapter four. That event is the rapture. In the tribulation, or before the tribulation, the church will be removed from the world, and that means that all true missionary work will cease. All true missionaries will be gone, they will be called up to go with the Lord, and without a church, there can't be worldwide evangelism as we know it now. Now, when the truth is gone, there is no truth for people to hear and believe. There's not much preaching of it. They'll be left with nothing to counterbalance the lies that they hear. And the darkened heart that is always susceptible to lies will believe those lies. And more will believe the lies that are preached across the world through satellite programming, through false missionaries. They will continue as they have before. Only they will have greater success because there's nothing to stop it. Well, there will still be a witness in the world because of salvation of the Jews, but that witness will be greatly suppressed by persecuting God-haters. Christian Jews, those who come to faith in Christ, will be forced into hiding in desert places. And so the gospel won't be preached worldwide as it is now. Well, I have no intentions of being an end times prophet, and I'll not tell you that conditions today mean that Christ's coming is right around the corner. But I can tell you that these past years, and especially these past months, have shown how quickly apostasy can grow. We can see how complete rejection of God could happen in a very brief time just by surveying the changes that have taken place in our country. It's only taken about 50 years for this country to nearly abandon all Christian principles. 
Now, today, there are things that are practiced that a few years ago we would just say are unthinkable. The Bible's worst sins of sexual perversion are celebrated in parades. The world's worst moral decadence is is considered to be freedom to sin without restraint. Murder of the unborn is a woman's right, even if her baby is viable and ready to be delivered. And what God's word has to say about this is that sin is slavery, that sin destroys and sin ruins societies. And that's what we see happening in our world today. But that's where we are in less than 50 years. Now, some that are older than me can remember further back and probably can tell an even greater difference. So there is a falling away. There is rejection of God in this country. Uh, We used to be a nation that sent missionaries around the world with truth. But now we're a nation that's sending out a false gospel, a false gospel of materialism rather than the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in these few decades, our country has become a godless country. We are without God. And now we're the ones that need to be evangelized. And it's not just this country There is no European country that's better, and in most cases they're worse, and some of them are on the cutting edge of the latest methods of destroying Christianity. England and Scotland that a few years ago gave us the gospel, now churches in those countries are are shuttered, and uh, those people are among the hardest to evangelize. But we still know this, there is a church in the world. The gospel is still being preached today. It's being preached in other places. So we can't say that the world is experiencing this great total falling away of the end times. Now we do see it happening in Western civilization as we are eaten up with self and materialism. But the gospel is progressing in other places. Places like second world and third world countries. The gospel thrives Just check in with some of our missionaries in these places. Now, when people become dependent upon self and dependent upon the government, as Americans are, then they cease to seek God. When people have no government to turn to, and there is no food, and they have no hope, that's when they realize that they have no one, no hope but God. Now, I don't have time to exposit this today. But this is the underlying reason that Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Materialism keeps people out of the kingdom of God. And that's the gospel that is being preached in America. The prosperity gospel is the most popular and it is a false gospel. It doesn't work here among affluent Americans because most don't need it. And it certainly doesn't work for the poor in third world countries because they will never be able to rise above the poverty of their own governments. Well, it was easy then for the Thessalonians to be confused about this because they could see only what was happening locally. And so it was easy for them to think, well, it must be the end times. We we are severely persecuted. And what they didn't know is that Christianity was thriving. They didn't know that in other places of the empire, that people were turning to Christ, that the church was advancing so that Paul could say to them, you aren't living in the end times because there isn't worldwide rebellion. There isn't total rejection of the gospel. 
everywhere people are still coming to Christ. Now, truthfully, they should have gleaned that from the first letter where Paul said their faith had sounded out to all the regions abroad. People heard of their faith. And that is not characteristic of end times tribulation. So right there under a terribly paganistic government, people were coming to the faith. Paul was starting more churches. That won't happen in the end times. Now, some will be saved during that time. But with the church gone and oppression so great, when those that are that do come to Christ are are killed for mentioning his name. That's characteristic of the end times. And that's when you can see that the gospel won't be spread around the world as it is now. Well, then who is it that promotes such destruction of believers? Well, it is this this person, the Antichrist. So this is the second reason that they couldn't be living in the end times. Why? Well, look again at verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. Except there come a falling away first. That's what we've just mentioned. And it says, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So reason number two, they are not in the tribulation. And that is the tribulation is accompanied by the revelation of the Antichrist. Well, here's where we need to slow down just a bit and spend some time. I want to talk to you about this person known as the Antichrist. He is the main character of the tribulation. And with the church taken out of the way and the gospel suppressed and Christian influence practically non-existent, the world will be right for a leader who will deceive and make himself God. The world then will be ready for a leader who will substitute for God, making them think that he is God. He will fit their idea of what God should be. And he'll make them think that the God of the Bible is not true. They need another God. And isn't that always a problem? This really goes all the way back to the very beginning. Last week we talked about how the spirit of Antichrist has always been here. Well, people want to make God in their image. People have always done this. They imagine what God should be. They imagine what they want God to be. They imagine that God thinks like they think. And so their idol is self. What their imagination tells them. You know, I think we found in this last election that for many people, $2,000 stimulus checks, that became the people's God. They were willing to do anything to get a check. Now, I think it's easier for us to imagine how such things can happen today than it was for Christians who are living even a century ago. And this is because we live in a technologically advanced and rapidly changing world. The ability to communicate, to socialize, for opinions to change worldwide overnight, that was never known before. Now all it takes is for a video to go viral Millions will latch on to that. That will be the buzz. 
Everywhere there's the social media by which opinions are formed. And so we live in this 24-hour news cycle. Things are changing constantly so that what happens in your backyard can be known across the world, every continent of the world, in just a few minutes. If you put out a lie, then that lie will spread faster than a California wildfire. Now today, the news media has the power to sway opinions by constant negative reporting of what they are against and constant positive reporting of every moral decadence they support. And so the social media platforms, they have the power also to silence all contrary opinions. And this is what God haters count on. Uh, they, They go about trying to influence the government, influence the agenda of this government with their agendas, And so they try to make politicians and do make politicians think that, oh, there must be this great groundswell of people that uh, uh, want these godless acts to be implemented upon our country. And politicians take that and they want to stay in power. And so they change. They change policies to make that happen. And we all know how that works. Tech giants are on the East Coast and on the West Coast, they control the news that reaches the rest of this country. They are the supporters of LBGTQ. They are the supporters of abortion and supporters of rewriting American history. They are against God and against the church. And all that the public hears is the propaganda of their opinions. And so what comes of this? Well, there is a tidal wave of demonic influence that infiltrates every home in America 24 hours every day. You watch any television show or movie and you would be convinced that 98% of Americans are adulterous, that they are homosexual, they are transvestites, they are gender fluid, men who think they're women and women who think they're men. And anyone who speaks contrary to that, who questions that nonsense, they're cut off. They aren't heard. They're trampled by CNN, by CBS, by the New York Times and the Washington Post. And so when the president signs executive orders to undo every righteous act of the past four years, that stuff becomes the truth of a God, but not the truth of the true God. Now, let me tell you, what I've just described to you is the world of the Antichrist. It's a world that defies God. It's a world turned upside down. And you hear us repeat this many, many times. Just what the scripture says, evil becomes good and evil, uh, good becomes evil. Now, again, I'm not predicting anything here, but it is this ability to communicate across the world and to go viral and to have programs or applications like like Facebook reach billions with their technology that just sets up the world for the Antichrist. He will rule, and he will know where people are. He knows what they're doing and whether they oppose him. That underlying structure is already with us. Nearly every app on your cell phone tracks your movements. The terms and conditions that you check off when you uh, download an app says that they collect data anonymously, but it's been shown that you track a person going to work, track a person going home, Only a fool can figure out who that person is. And so in the tribulation, there will be this worldwide system of knowing everybody and knowing where they are and whether they have permission to buy and sell. And again, incredibly, that technology is already here. You can have your credit shut off in a heartbeat. 
You try to use a credit card, and that's, of course, now a worldwide medium of exchange. Try to use a credit card, and you can be exposed. And without that card number, you have no access to your funds. And that's an ability that wasn't available at the time to the Thessalonians. So the Antichrist will have all of these things at his disposal. And if the world is okay with killing innocent babies, then what do you think they're going to do to adults who don't, who they don't think are innocent because they oppose the Antichrist? Paul calls this man a man of sin. Revelation calls him the beast. He is the son of perdition. Oh, he will be loved on this earth and he will rule it all. But he's doomed to judgment and everlasting destruction. Well, the question is, who is he? Do we know who he is? That's the question that's always asked when we study these scriptures. Who is he? Well, Paul didn't name him. And yet the dominant question is, about end times, it's always this. Who is the Antichrist? Now, the reason we don't know who he is is because he hasn't yet been revealed. We are living in the church age. The church is here. And the Antichrist will not be revealed until the church is gone. Now, I'm like many of you. I I confess, when I look at our leaders, I could see how any one of them could be the Antichrist. Their platform is certainly Antichrist. They rule and they govern with a satanic agenda. And you'd have to be blind not to see it. Now, we don't expect the world to recognize an evil agenda, but Christians, you mean we can't see this? And unfortunately, of course, we are stuck with choosing the lesser of evils in most elections, but you still have a choice. There, There is a choice today. The world, though, is heading for a time of no choice. Or if there is a choice and they freely choose the evil of a man who opposes God And it looks like we've already got a training program for him. We've got his platform. So the Antichrist will be a man who's loved by all parties. He transcends divisive partisanship. He suits everyone's taste. And that's what he uses to rise to power. And so at first, he looks good to both Jews and Gentiles. He looks good to Catholics and Protestants because many of them will still be here. He looks good to Republicans or Democrats. He looks good to Islam and to Buddhists and to Hindus. He'll be a man that is adept at getting people together and getting them on his side. Evil loves evil. And then, of course, we must mention this, that false religion will be on his side. The tribulation is not the end of religion. Uh, when, when you see things like happened just a couple of weeks ago, the invocation in the house of representatives is prayed by a preacher, by a preacher who ends his prayer by saying, in the name of the monotheistic God Brahma, which is a misnomer to begin with because Brahma is not monotheistic, but it says the monotheistic Brahma or what by whatever name he may be called and then says, amen, and a woman, then you know lunacy has finally taken over this country. Do you know how the Antichrist gains his power? The God of this world sets him up. People naturally do this. They follow the God of this world. And so they will follow the Antichrist because he is their God's man. And I think the world will follow him because, as Scripture says, this world is Satan's domain. Satan will enter him and control him. He'll be the apple of the eye of natural men who are God's enemies. 
Now, let's stay on this point for just a minute. The devil will enter him and control him. Let me talk about this for just a minute. Satan's desire to be embodied. We find a hint of this in verse number three, uh, where it says that the Antichrist is the son of perdition. This is one of two places in Scripture where this term, this phrase, son of perdition, is used. Perdition means destined to eternal damnation and punishment. Now, in Christ's prayer, in John 17, this is the high priestly prayer, Jesus said to his heavenly Father that he had kept all the disciples. Now, we know that God had another plan for one of the disciples. And so Jesus said, I kept all of them but one. And this is what Jesus said about him, John 17, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. That's the disciples. Those that thou hast given me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. The only one lost was the son of perdition. Well, who was that? Well, I think we all know. That's Judas Iscariot. Centuries before, he was prophesied to betray Jesus. Jesus said he was not kept, so the scriptures would be fulfilled. But what did Satan do with Judas? Well, we find the answer to this in John 13, verse 27. This is just before Jesus gave his disciples the institution of the Lord's Supper. In that 27th verse of John 13, and after the sop, Satan entered into him, that is, into Judas. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. So Satan entered into Judas, and then Judas got up, left the meal, and went out and did the dastardly work of betraying Christ. Earlier in John 7, Jesus said that Judas had a devil. Well, there are many examples of demon possession in the scriptures, but we don't see this phrase, that Satan himself entered anyone. But we do find it with both Judas and the Antichrist. Both of them are called the son of perdition. Now, I can tell you that the worst two men of all time are Judas and the Antichrist. And the fact that Satan entered Judas and will enter the Antichrist shows that Satan wants to be embodied when his worst works need to be done. This is what Satan did. When he needed, wanted Jesus to be crucified, he embodied Judas. And when he wants to destroy those who are saved in the tribulation, he will embody the Antichrist. Now, Satan is a great counterfeiter. He counterfeits Christ. And when God's greatest work needed to be done, what did the Son of God do? Well, he became a man. He became God in the flesh. Satan can't become incarnate in the same sense that Jesus was, but he is a counterfeiter, and so he makes it appear that he can. And so when Satan needs to do his worst, he may personally inhabit the spirit of a man. Well, let's get us back on track with Paul's contention that the tribulation can't be here until the Antichrist is revealed. So we need to go back to the scriptures and see this is not this is not an idea that Paul pulled out of thin air. He is consistent with this. He is consistent with Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. Paul isn't the only one who knew about the Antichrist. We mentioned this in our scripture reading a moment ago. John spoke of him. Uh, John wrote First, second, and third John wrote the Revelation. This is what he wrote in First John 2.18. Again, we read it. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come. 
Even now there are many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. Now when John wrote it is the last time, he meant the church age is on its way to its conclusion. The church age, that is the last age before the Antichrist comes. So when we say we're living in the last days, we mean it in this sense. This is the last time before the Antichrist comes. Now, the last days, the time that we're living in now, is characterized by many, by many Antichrists. That's the false cults, that's the false prophets, the charismania, and all the, their perversions of doctrine. But John makes a distinction in this text between many Antichrists and the one Antichrist who is to come. Now, in John's day, just like ours, there were many Antichrists. In his time, it was men like Roman emperors. But he doesn't identify one of the Roman emperors as the one Antichrist of the tribulation. Well, this tells us that his readers were already familiar with information in the Old Testament scriptures and from earlier teachings of Paul. There are several references to the final Antichrist in the Old Testament. But the prophet that said the most about it was Daniel. Now, I want us to go to Daniel where we'll read some scripture and start with chapter 7. This is the Old Testament scriptures of the revelation of the Antichrist. Now, Old Testament prophecy is trustworthy. It's proved to be correct. And Daniel is one of the most precise prophets I mean, he was detailed in prophecy so that he knew how long it would be before the Old Testament would would end. He knew when Christ would come in the first advent. He knew when Jerusalem would be destroyed. He knew how long the tribulation would be. Well, Daniel also predicted the career of the Antichrist. He, he He's the prophet that Jesus quoted in Matthew 24, 15. So Jesus trusted Daniel. I know that we can trust him. Uh, Jesus did because the prophecy that Daniel gave, gave was given to him by the Son of God through the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to look at verses 7, 8, 7 and 8 in Daniel chapter 7. And there's several elements to this prophecy in the time left. We don't have uh, uh, time to explain it all, but I'll give you a little bit. Daniel 7, verses 7 and 8. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast... Dreadful and terrible, strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns. And behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now let, me, let me unpack just a little bit of that so you can understand it better. The fourth beast, that refers to the Antichrist who rises as a successor to other great world empires. His empire is more powerful than any that came before. Now Daniel gave us some hints of his abilities. He is strong. That is, his government is strong. Great iron teeth. That's a way of expressing uh, the power and ferociousness by which he pursues his agenda. Then the mention of horns. That's one of the Bible's ways of speaking of power. In our tabernacle series from last year, we talked about horns that are on the altar. Horns are symbols of God's 
power. Well, the Antichrist is also enormously powerful, and these horns are the confederated powers of earthly governments that are consolidated within, within the government of the Antichrist. And then the vision of Daniel's beast, this beast has the eyes of man. The indication is many eyes. Now, the Antichrist mimics the true Christ, and many eyes is the Bible's way of saying that he is intelligent, he is full of wisdom. Now, in Revelation chapter 4, that very same imagery was used to describe the living creatures, angelic creatures that are in God's throne room. The eyes, that's an indication of God's wisdom. And so what Satan is doing here is mimicking the wisdom of God. Daniel said that the Antichrist would speak great things. He's a smooth talker. He is convincing. His oratory is superb. Now, he doesn't stumble over words as I do. You remember that people said Paul didn't speak very well. They contrasted his oratory to the speeches of Greek and Roman philosophers. And Paul's speech may very well have been pitiable. But because he spoke with the power of God, he was heard and believed. Well, the Antichrist doesn't have that power, but he does have great natural ability and he has the power of Satan behind him. People are mesmerized by good speaking ability. The Antichrist has that in abundant supply. Now, if we go to chapter eight in Daniel, verse number 23, in Daniel's prophecy, he says, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. A king of fierce countenance, a king with a fierce face will stand up. That is, he stands above all the other kings of his day. His ferocity does not mean that he is ugly and frightening, but the works that he does, those certainly are. His deception is amazingly fierce in what he will do to unsuspecting people. Notice this, Daniel says he understands dark sentences. That's likely a reference to the occult. So he is able to interpret with demonic power. He is a medium, he is a bridge between the dark, unseen spiritual world and the known physical world. He uses this uncommon ability to see what others can't see. So let me give you some more characteristics. We, we could read more in chapter 9 if you want to look at that later. But now we skip over to chapter 11. And in verses 36 and 37 of Daniel 11. And the king, this is the Antichrist, shall do according to his will. He shall exalt himself, and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Now we take what Daniel wrote there and compare it to what Paul wrote in Second Thessalonians 2 verse 4. In our text, Paul said, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship." So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Later, we'll speak of the Antichrist and the temple. Now, we can see 
that Paul, either Paul did this, he took his information directly from Daniel, reading that prophecy, or he received it from the same source, who would be the Holy Spirit, and both say the Antichrist will push himself up and declare himself to be God. It says that he doesn't regard the God of his fathers. This may indicate that he's a Jew. He doesn't follow the God of his fathers, who are the Jews. Now, God of the God of the fathers, that, that's a typical way in scriptures of describing Jehovah God. Now, if the Antichrist, if he's going to fool the Jews, it would make sense that he would be a Jew because the Jews won't accept any other Messiah than a Jewish Messiah. Now, one of the things that he does at the beginning of his rule is, is to make a peace treaty with the Jews. In Revelation chapter 6, the Antichrist is the rider on the white horse. He comes to conquer. And he does it without warfare. Who does that mimic? Well, he's trying to mimic Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. In Revelation 19, the true Christ comes riding on a white horse also to defeat him. And then I find this to be interesting. Daniel said he doesn't desire women. What does that mean? Well, perhaps that could mean he is a homosexual. Is it strange that homosexuality is now trendy? But what is the one sin that stands out and gets repeatedly mentioned in Scripture? When God wants to talk about the worst sins imaginable, the worst of all, what sins does he use? The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, the Antichrist is the worst. He does the worst. And I'll just leave that with you to think about. Now, one more comment, and we'll finish for today. Going back to Daniel 8, verse number 25. And through his policy, also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? By peace he shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that the Antichrist comes with peace and that he conquers without weapons, without warfare. He brings peace to the earth without firing a shot. But his method of keeping peace and keeping his position, once the world knows his agenda, is to destroy many. He kills to maintain power. Now, eventually, at the end of the tribulation, he will meet the prince of princes, and this prince is the only one that he can't defeat. Now, for sure, there is much interest. There is much speculation about the Antichrist. But Paul said that the end is not going to come. It will not come until the Antichrist is revealed. And the Antichrist will not be revealed until the church is gone from this world. So we ask, will we meet the Antichrist? Will you and I as Christians alive today, will we ever meet the Antichrist? The answer to that question is yes, a very qualified yes. We will meet him when we are glorified in heaven, when at the end of the tribulation we come back to fight him with our true king, who is the king of heaven. Revelation 19:14, And the armies which were in heaven followed him, followed Jesus Christ upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Christians will never follow the wrong white horse. Now, we trust the rider that controls the entire universe, the one who will come to conquer the whole world and establish his righteousness 
over this entire world. Now his kingdom will be the reverse, all the reverse of the Antichrist and his reign. Now make no mistake about this. When Christ comes to reign, he will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We sang some wonderful songs earlier. All I have is Christ, worthy to be worshipped. Lord, that's who you are. We have nothing but you and nothing to depend on but you. And we must put all of our hope and confidence in you because we see where the world is headed. We know the destruction of the world. And even if we don't live long enough to see the one Antichrist revealed, as John said, there are many Antichrists already in the world. And they work to destroy your people and your work. Lord, help us to stand up against it more now than ever. We need to do this in our country as we see the wickedness that goes on a daily basis. It's just terrible things, terrible legislation that's been proposed and some that has passed. And we see nothing but marks, earmarks of the Antichrist all over it. Help your people to recognize this and stand for truth. Thank you, Lord, for our church. We do pray that very, very soon we will be back together And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen our people, keep us together, keep us unified, give our folks good health, and help us, Lord, that we will come together soon. We ask you for this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. And now for our benediction, I'd like to take this scripture reading from the book of Job, chapter 19. And this is a a very familiar scripture to you. And I chose this one because of my final comments about seeing Christ, that Christ will come and he will reign over the world in righteousness. And we expect him to come in Revelation 19 or excuse me, Job chapter 19 and verse number 23. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That's funny. Job wrote that and Here we have now for thousands of years his words printed in a book. Verse 24, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. And these words are preserved forever in heaven. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another Though my reins be consumed within me. No matter what happens to us, we will see Christ. But we hope to see you in church very, very soon. Pray for our soon return. God be with you and stay safe. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.